Mike check. Mike check. One two one two. Mike check. One two one two. <laughs> it's a taste to consider podcast. Yeah, I'm back for another episode. Uh, it's been a it's been a long minute, a long minute. I just checked before I hit the record button. My last show was November six, and yeah, dang. I knew it was a minute. I knew it was November, but I ain't know it was the beginning of November. But we back for another episode. This is New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Yeah, so this episode is going to be, you know, kind of light. You know, this is an episode I already had um, outlined and everything. I was supposed to do it weeks ago, and then a week turned into another week, and then another week, and another week. But yeah, <laughs> we here, we back for another episode, and you know, I wanted to finish the year off um, with an episode, uh, just, you know, to close it out, and especially since I already outlined this episode, I already worked on it and everything, um, so yeah, you know, taste it into the podcast, we here, you know how we do, let's go. Say stickers to the podcast. Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need y'all to brawl. Now what the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more. So for one last time, nigga, make some noise. Who you know fresher than whole? Riddle me that. The rest of y'all know where I'm lurking at Can't none of y'all mirror me back Yeah, hear me rap, it's like Angie rapping his prime I'm young H.O., rap's grateful dead Back to take over the globe, now break bread I'm in Boeing Jets, Glow Express Out the country, but the blueberries still connect On the low, but the yacht got a triple deck But when you young, what the fuck you spec? Yep, yep Grand opening, grand closing God damn your manhole, crack the can open again Who you gonna find over the head with no pants? Say stick and sit podcast Who you gonna see, you can't replace him With cheap imitations for these generations I get an encore, do you want more? Say stick and sit podcast, let's go Last time I need y'all to roll What I made for you Knew if I paid my dues How will they pay you When you first come in the game They try to play you Then you drop a couple of hits Look how they wave to you From R.C. to Madison Square To the only thing that matters It's just a matter of years yeah. As fate will have it J status appears To be at an all-time high Perfect time, time to say goodbye When I come back like Jordan Win the 4-5 It ain't to play games with you It's to aim at you Probably maim you If I owe you I'm blowing you to smithereens Cops set the tape one for your team And I need you to remember one thing I came, I saw, I conquered From record sales, sold out concerts So motherfucker, if you want this encore I need you to scream till your lungs get sore Ow! It's star time This man is mean He's killing all y'all jive turkeys Y'all want more than Jigga Man Well, if y'all want more than Jigga Man Then I need y'all to help me Say stick and sit a podcast Let's go Oh, 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 oh,
Face to Consider Podcast. I'm leaving. That's how you get me back. After a year, them 16s is 1.2. So that's 2.4, and I'm only doing two. You want in the game, attention, new dudes. I can get you BET and TRL too. You want to be in the public, send your budget. Well, fuck it. I ain't budging. Young kid of the death, you gotta love it. Record companies told me I couldn't cut it. Now look at me, all star studded. Golf for a bump par like a putted. All cause of shit I uttered was utterly ridiculous. How sick is this? You want the bank, send Kanye chain, send just some dust, send hypocrite. Yeah, you got spit. Do something like this. What the hell are you waiting for? Say sick and sit a podcast. Taste to consider podcast. Yes, we are back for another episode, the final episode of 2023, and it was kind of fitting to um, fitting symbolic to intro the show. This show, um, the last show of 2023, um, with Encore, Jay Z's Encore. Um, because this could possibly be the last episode period of a taste to consider podcast. Um, yeah, I've been thinking for a while about it. Um, I'm not sure if this is going to be the last episode. I'm saying that now. I'm not sure (laughs) if it's going to be the last episode, but I am sure of the fact that I just haven't been um into it like that. I haven't um I haven't been excited about podcasting lately. Um you know, this could be like a one-off thing, you know, or it could just be time. Um I would I'd would be lying if I say I never thought of ending this podcast cuz this never was the plan honestly for me to um have my own podcast, so to speak. Um, you know, everything started out with uh unproductive, unapologetic podcast, group podcast, you know. Um and it eventually turned into something, uh, you know, an idea just to, you know, venture off a little bit and, you know, do something small while still doing the group podcast. But the um, you know, the group podcast um everybody decided uh to they wanted to do their own thing and stuff um so it kind of became a permanent situation when um with with my solo podcast it taste to consider podcast and you know at first i was just going to focus on you know um just mental health um topics and you know my experiences with my mental health journey and stuff like that piggybacking off of uh my mental health blog greatestiamblog.com and um i haven't really been even writing for the blog i haven't r- r- written for the blog in a while um and 
one of the things that I, I I know about myself is like I don't necessarily have a balance of of <laughs> letting go or continuing things or whatever. So my my <laughs> how I handle situations like that is an extreme. Like and I'll give you like a, a small example. Like <laughs> if it's like a a piece of Tupperware, I don't want to um wash or I don't feel like washing <laughs> after I've used it, I'll just throw that joint in the trash, just straight in the trash because I'm like, shoot, I'll get another one. <laughs> but certain things, you know, um, have been hard for me to let go. And that's why this, you know, um, this possibly being my last episode for Taste to Consider podcast is a, is not a concrete, you know, thing because I know at times I can take my emotions to the extreme when it comes to trying to figure out whether to keep going with something or let something go. And, you know, sometimes, you know, things are just, you know, for a season, you know. Um, and I know a lot of times when I have flirted with the idea of ending the podcast has always been emo- an emotional thought because, you know, maybe – people weren't supporting me that I thought was going to support me or I wasn't getting enough support um, by people that, you know, I thought was going to support me or, you know, just the regular frustrations of life when you are um, trying to build something and it may not be moving fast enough or I got into situations where I compared myself to other people um, doing the same thing that I was doing or starting out around the same time that I started out and stuff like that. And those have been the times where I've really flirted with the idea of ending the podcast. And I knew um, that came down to a lot of emotional region, reasons. So, of course, it didn't happen after, you know, I calmed myself down or I talked it through and stuff like that. So, but this time, you know, is is actually feeling different because even those times where I flirted with it, I still had an excitement for it. Um, but I haven't been having an excitement for it um, lately. Um, I, but honestly, you know, just being in the routine of things, I continue to still um, save topics, save clips, save certain um, post and stuff like that just you know in case and just because that was just you know my routine of things but I haven't really even been on social media like that like I don't even get on Instagram no more like I don't post on Instagram even when I did the last taste review I didn't even market it or advertise it on social media at all Twitter Instagram nothing I didn't advertise it at all um so it was kind of like I just, you know, wasn't feeling it, feeling just the whole um, trying to market stuff. But I am still excited about um, the taste review. So that that for sure ain't going nowhere. That's just starting. That's just beginning. I, I very much enjoyed the taste reviews. Shout out to everybody who's been supporting the new show on the Taste to Consider Network on YouTube. Um. So, like I said, this is New Year's Eve right now. And, you know, um, 
I wanted to record one last show for 2023 to end it off. I mean, like I said, I already worked on this show. This was some. This was a show, a light show. Wasn't that heavy on topics and clips and stuff like that. Um, and I ain't gonna lie, I kind of procrastinated this weekend, even trying to do it. You know, uh, it's Sunday right now, New Year's Eve, and but I, I just had to sit down and do it. <laughs> And it's even funny just sitting in this position right now behind the microphone and stuff because it's been a while. It's it's been a minute since I've recorded a podcast. Um, And even this week, like, I found myself, uh, even when the times that I was just, I randomly got on social media just out of uh, finger habit. (laughs) My phone, my fingers just tapping it and popping up like I saved a couple of clips and topics for a possible episode you know and that's why I'm just like you know I don't know if this is the last show but if this is I you know I wanted to end the year of letting people know something you know I just didn't want to leave it open-ended like that so you know this is possibly the last taste, one last taste, possibly <laughs> one of those might end up being the the title of this episode. But let me officially introduce the episode. I didn't do that yet. You know, I know it's been a while, <laughs> but I've been I was ready to officially introduce the show. Um, but I just had to, you know, talk that out a little bit. So here we go right here. It's a taste to consider podcast. I'm your host, Dirk Silver, and we are back. Back for another episode, yes. And like I was saying, um, yeah, possibly the last last taste, one last taste, whatever. Um, but since the last time I recorded, like pretty much what I've been up to is just um burp number one dang i had to get that that's that was a good feeling (laughs) but yeah you know i've been since the last episode that last episode was november 6 dating games the list and one of the other you know reasons why i just been kind of like turned off with podcasts and and stuff like that outside of it not as outside of me um not feeling excited about it and it's starting to feel like a burden, so to speak, you know, and I've talked about plenty of times before how, you know, just going from a group podcast and playing my role and doing, you know, certain jobs of producing the show and, you know, getting topics together and all that other stuff and, you know, getting the the the, the space together, the studio together, you know, it's different when now when it when it was just me doing it as a whole but I had that excitement to get me through it and stuff you know because I went through a long period of time of you know doing a lot of episodes every weekend every weekend and then at times I would have my frustrations and stuff like that where um I would be turned off a little bit and may have missed a, a weekend or two and stuff like that but I still had that that drive in me to podcast 
But outside of that, like one of the other things that have been kind of like turning me off from podcasting and stuff is is just the whole landscape of podcast podcasting and social media in general with all the black men versus black women talk and the conversations and stuff like that is honestly have been getting very annoying to me and you know even though I involve myself in some of these conversations and stuff and I try to keep it from a different kind of angle than some of that clickbait stuff and that you know um, content over everything mentality and you know clout chasing and stuff you know I was sprinkling other things that I'm interested in the the politic aspect you know the quote-unquote conspiracy stuff and you know just other topics you know I had my blackity black woke segment you know I would talk about tvs and movies and stuff and you know I would switch I would try to switch up the episodes every now and then just like when I did the um the black love movie bracket one of the fate one of my favorite episodes to do and you know i would try to get guests on his as much as i can you know um and i still you know i even before content getting into this position being in this position right now of it possibly being the last uh episode already I already had like two guests lined up po- two possible guests lined up to do a show on that you know was uh, something different and you know, but just that's that's one of the reasons why I ain't even been on social media like that. Just it's just the frustration and just like being turned off from the black, you know, the black community and us having these these conversate these same conversations over and over again. And it's so much more out there for us to talk about. And you know, I just you know you know, I was being when I was, you know, talking to people about this possibly being my last show, you know, um, one of the things that I was told was that, you know, maybe you just need a break right now. You know, maybe you just need a little break. But then in my mind, you know, the way society is now with social media and it being a microwave society and content being pushed to you at all times of the day, night, you know, just floods of content, you know, it, it for somebody like me that's really trying to build, you know, my my brain and the podcast and stuff like that is is not very to me is not very advantageous to take a break. Like like a long break. Shoot, a day is a, is is too long. Taking one day is too long right now for uh being a content creator or whatever. And for a podcaster that podcasts every week, taking a week may be detrimental. Shoot, two weeks is is a long time to be taking a break. And just me being a a supporter of other podcasters and listening to shows and stuff like that on all levels, um, it's talked about a lot how taking, you know, breaks can be bad for, you know, your your brain and building yourself up and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, those are the things that, you know, have been factoring in into all of this that I'm sitting in right now with poss- this possibly being my last show. Um, but other than that, um, 
what I've been doing since the last show is, you know, um, I talked about this before, um, but I didn't really go into depth about it. You know, I've been going, I've been going to therapy ever since 2013. And one of the things that each and every therapist that I've had, because I have, I've had several different therapists throughout um, those years, you know, due to insurance and, you know, just, it's just time to, to move on and, and not really being compatible with certain therapists or whatever. Like majority of the therapists that I've um, worked with, they all told me that I should write letters to my parents on, you know, the my feelings and how I saw things growing up and how the how those things made me feel and stuff like that. So that's one of the things that I've been working on since then. Um, I wanted my goal was to finish one of the letters, which was the one that I started on first was the letter to my mom. And I wanted to finish that before the 2023 ended. <laughs> and I, I have to say that I'm not I'm not even close to finishing that. And and the reason why I started with that one first, because, you know, my relationship with my mom as a as a as a man, as a as a boy at one point in time, that's you know, that was the biggest relationship and I know you know with a woman that would be her relationship with her dad so I made it a goal to finish that letter before the new year but yeah I don't I don't, I don't see that fin- I mean shit we here New Year's Eve right now and I'm I'm not finished but that's been like a suggestion and a homework assi- assignment for a couple of therapists that I've worked with and you know I, I finally decided to sit down and work work on it because uh all of them that suggested this and gave this as a homework assignment always say you don't have to give the letter to her just write it and i in my mind me being a man and me looking at it from a logical um perspective and stuff i'll be like so what's the point of writing a letter if i'm not gonna give it to her and i don't think that you know i don't necessarily have a problem giving the letter to her if you know if that was the the recommendation but i'm not sure if my you know my mom would be ready (laughs) for the things that i have to say and stuff like that and i remember just going through therapy like one of the the first therapy session that i ever gone through and when that that therapist he was telling me you know um his thoughts on you know my background and stuff like that um i was trying to protect my mom and his his thoughts on you know what I went through and stuff like that (laughs) so I know that's still kind of there in in a way you know so maybe I'm not 100% ready if that was the recommendation to give my mom the letter the letter but I finally got to the point where I was actually ready to sit down and write it and I started out already you know writing a letter I'm a page and some and um some more um into it already um but it is a lot of a lot of things to flesh out with that particular um relationship and the things that I went through the things that I experienced um with my mom I I saved my dad's letter for last because it's not that I don't have it's not that me and my dad then my relationship with him wasn't 
Um, I didn't go through anything with him, but it's just it wasn't as deep. And honestly, man talking to a man, it don't have to be that deep. You know, I could just honestly like if, if I wanted to, I could just say to my dad what what I felt, you know, like, dad, why the hell you ain't come to my none of my uh, basketball games? Why you ain't come to none of my baseball games? Why you ain't come to none of my track meets? If you was around more, you know what I'm saying, if I had that discipline and you being excited about me, then I wouldn't have been in high school chasing the girls around. I would have focused on, you know, the sports and stuff like that. You know, that's something I could easily say to him, um, which I haven't. But, yeah, that's why I said I, um, I saved that for last because that's something I probably can just go to him and talk to him about. Um, but with my mom, you know, it's more deeper, you know, um, a uh, man's relationship with his mother is very impactful. Um, it's very, um, trying to think of the, the right words, but, you know, it's very important. So I ain't going to sit here and try to figure out the word. Y'all know. <laughs> but, yeah. So, um, you know, I finally got to the point where I'm ready to, you know, I actually was ready to sit down and start writing. And, like, um once I started writing it because I started writing it a while ago you know I uh, honestly I would say with me just being me and being hard on myself I should have been finished this letter but you know rehashing things and bringing up old stuff and you know feeling certain emotions and going back to places and then you you get to the point where you you be like damn I don't even want to deal with that shit no more you know I don't want to deal with it right now or you know um it's kind of hard, like, getting right back into the mode of, you know, um, revisiting stuff. And even r discovering things, you know, because in the midst of me writing that letter, you know, I started discovering certain things that I totally forgot happened or I totally forgot that I felt and stuff like that. So, you know, that's that that's one of the conclusions I came to with, you know, um, what's the point of writing the letter? That's one of the points of writing a letter right there, you know, um, discovering things that I may have, you know, um, put in the back of my mind and stuff like that. So um, and just seeing, you know, writing a letter and seeing how a lot of the well, I ain't gonna say a lot of things, some things that I experienced as a child with my mom that I actually, you know, am still experiencing today you know, in in all of my life, not just my love life with with women, you know, but certain things with my job and how I interact with certain people and how I see certain things with my friends or how I try to protect myself and how maybe I'm in defense and in some ways and how that came about and stuff like that. So all that stuff is interesting. You know, um, but that's pretty much what I've been up to. You know, it doesn't look like I'm going to be done with the letter before the new year, but that's cool. As long as I started and my goal is to finish it, period. So, um, you know, I, that's all I've been trying to focus on right there. But um, it definitely has been bringing up, um, you know, a lot of stuff. But. I'm finally, I'm finally getting this damn letter out of the way because I'm tired of hearing, you know, ther my therapist that I've been working with bring this up. <laughs>
but I know it has been impactful, and I know is, you know, um, so a lot of the reasons why I'm in certain positions that I am in today, um, with making decisions and, and stuff like that, and and how I live my life and stuff, you know, how particularly in you know relationships, not just romantic, but you know all my relationships, and is. It's crazy because, you know, um, what this episode is about, you know, um, deals with a lot of how parents impact us in our lives and, you know, how that can motivate us to do certain things or keep us in certain places and mindsets and hinder us in some ways, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you can mark it all down because that's, that, that's how it is, um, But yeah, that's that's pretty much what I've been up to since the last episode. And, you know, just contemplating on what's going on with the podcast. But like I said, the taste reviews aren't going anywhere. I very much enjoy those and people have very much enjoyed those as well. Um So let me get into um what the episode was is about and what it was going to be about when I came up with it weeks ago, last month. Pro- I, this episode was supposed to be recorded pretty much the week after uh, dating, the Dating Games episode, Dating Games The List episode. <laughs> so like I said, it was it was going to be something like, and this episode going to be something like, even though I talked about this, some, this is kind of heavy, but yeah. <laughs> but pretty much... Um, Last episode was um that I was gonna record, which is this one now, <laughs> was gonna be called Doc Watch. I just you know, cause I just sat down and just watched a, a few documentaries that I thought was really interesting. And I was like, you know, I'm just gonna keep a you know, throw a light little episode out there and talk about a couple of these documentaries that I watched. So at that time, I watched three documentaries. The Millie Vanilli documentary. Burp number two. Burp number three. The Millie Vanilli documentary. Hold on. Burp number four. <laughs> the Millie v- Vanilli documentary. Um, the Sylvester Salone documentary, which was called the Slide documentary. Um, and... The Tyler Perry documentary, that one pretty much got added on to the show because that one came out uh, a while after, you know, I watched the Millie Vanilli and the Sylvester Stallone one. But, yeah, like I was saying how, you know, it's interesting that I started talking about that the show ran it took so long for me to record again and how, you know, I started working on the letter about my mom and stuff like that. And just talking about the um, how parents impact us in our lives or whatever. And these doc, all these three documentaries have <laughs> like showed that how, you know, these these particular people, these celebrities and stuff how their parents impacted their lives in certain ways, you know. um, But I'm going to talk about the documentaries as a whole as well. So, you know, 
but those elements were a part of the documentary of course you know because they you know they it's basically a biography or autobiography of their lives and with these documentaries so i'm gonna start with the millie vanilli jump the millie vanilli documentary i forgot what um i think it was on the showtime the showtime app i think i I believe it was the showtime app that i watched it on it was it's been a minute since i watched it but of course you know i'm 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 the note king. I take notes. So I was taking notes while I was watching it. So I got my notes here. And the Millie Vanilli Jump was a good good ass documentary. And before I forget, I didn't um I didn't add this to my note taking, but I just recently watched the Bee Gees documentary on the Max app. That's the HBO app for those that don't know by now. Yeah. And that that was one of the best um, music documentaries I've seen in a while. It was a very good documentary. And I've always heard of the Bee Gees, but, you know, I never really, you know, just I heard of them, but I just didn't even, didn't know nothing about the Bee Gees. And it, it was crazy. Like, that documentary showed me how influential the Bee Gees were, period, in um, a lot of R&B artists remade their songs, and a lot of uh, producers that produce rap records use their their uh, music for beats and stuff like that. So, but that was a very enjoyable documentary. So check that one out, the BG's documentary on the Max app. Um, but yeah, back to the Millie Vanilli jump. So the Millie Vanilli jump, man, this one was a good documentary, but it was sad as hell at the same time. So. This is my first time looking at the notes since I've taken them. So let me see. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was two two artists that was part of Millie Vanilli, um, Fab and Rob. And Rob, he was adopted, you know, um, from what they said on the documentary, his mom. So they, they're not from America, of course. I forgot where they was from. Um, but they was over there in Europe somewhere. But Rob, he was adopted and like his life start already started off um kind of rough rob was the uh the light-skinned dude and his mom was a um was a stripper at the time and his dad from what he was told his dad was um a u.s soldier that was like stationed over wherever he from and got his mom pregnant but that's all he pretty much knew and his mom couldn't couldn't take care of him so he he was adopted and they both had like they both had rough childhoods you know according to the documentary and like just watching the documentary one of the things that i picked up and they alluded to it as well was that you know they their whole lives they was both pretty much looking for a family um because fab um which was the he was the um he was the dark skinned dude and i think yeah he was the dark skinned dude like he ran away from home and all that other stuff let me make sure i'm getting this right because y'all know i like giving right information <laughs> but i believe i am correct but i'm just gonna take a quick second to look this up to make sure i'm getting the um the people right Make sure I'm getting these bammers right. 
Um, let me see. Let me see. Uh, yeah, they was from Germany. Um, yeah, they was a German R&B music act. Um, yeah, Fab was the dark-skinned dude and Rob was the light-skinned dude. Yeah, Fab, he ran away from home and all that other stuff. So they both had, like, rough childhoods and stuff. And throughout the documentary, they pretty much show how their childhoods impacted their lives and and played a role in them, you know, participating in Millie Vanilli and, you know, being lip sync artists. <laughs> yeah, so pretty much they started out as dancers and dancers slash performers and stuff. And they they was dancers on like um a TV show that was over in one of those European countries and stuff and they they was uh dancers for performers for like this TV show. It was it was almost like, you know, a soul train type of show or I forgot what that other show was called with Casey Kasem. But it was a show like that, and they would have like artists that would come on the show and sing, and but they the show would provide the dancers, and them two were the background dancers for the performers. So, um, what else? Yeah, when they first um got started with the Millie Vanilli Jump, that of course is the same old story every time with with artists. Back in the day and even now, they didn't read their contract. They, you know, all they all they knew was that they was about to be famous. They was about to be famous and stuff like that. And they just didn't care about the contract. <laughs> they just knew that they was gonna be famous. They was they was from what they from what um Fab said, the dark skinned dude, um, he was like they were hungry, they were poor, and they was desperate. They was desperate for attention. They was desperate for love. You know, they wanted money. They they needed a place to stay, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, of course, throughout the documentaries, it's going to be different accounts of how things went down. So Fab, he, he was always talking about how, you know, when they first got approached about doing the lip singing that they refused or whatever. But I don't think they refused. <laughs> I don't. And the other side um, they pretty much said that as well, that they didn't they didn't refuse and, and that they was very excited about, you know, doing this. <laughs> um, what else? Let me see. Yeah. The producers and 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 Millie Vanilli, they had totally different stories about how the whole beginning of all of this went down. But what was interesting was the the dude, the main producer who who put Millie Vanilli together. He he done he did this before, like even before Millie Millie Vanilli, he already had a group that he put together and they was lip singing, and he wasn't you know paying them the, the proper things you know saying he swindled them with the contracts and stuff like that so this dude and he was a white dude white dude he knew what he was doing and and he kind of he kind of said it in like some of his when they was showing like past interviews and stuff like that he knew that black the black genre the black people were um the it thing back then in music and that was doing like the 80s and stuff so 
that's why he was always trying to find black people to do this little lip syncing thing with because he knew that that whole look and the popularity of it same shit that be going on today you know black americans and black music and stuff like that run the culture so he was trying to emulate black the the black music scene black american music scene at the time and you know what I'm saying it ended up hidden with Millie Vanilli. It started, you know what I'm saying? It it became pop. It came it became popular music. So this one no one off thing right here. This is something that he was doing even before Millie Vanilli. He even did that shit after they got found out. But he started a different group and called them Millie Vanilli. But I'll go into that a little later. <laughs> but um what was one of the most interesting things, though, about this whole situation was how long it took for people to figure it out. Because Fab and Rob, the Millie Vanilli dudes, their talking voices was totally different from their singing voices. These Bamas couldn't even speak English for real. <laughs> but then they can sing the songs in English. Like, so... and. And just saying that or whatever, that just had me like, bruh, this is why people got to gotta stop being so caught up into celebrities and what's popular and following with the trends and stuff like that. Because there's no way that these bamers should have got away with this from the beginning. They could barely speak English. Their accents was heavy as hell. But all of a sudden, they sing in perfect English and sounding uh, like American people. <laughs> This shit was crazy. They had terrible English. They could barely speak a sentence in English without fumbling. <laughs> but one of the things that I do um, give credit for, like, people started, once once their music started venturing over into America, that's when people did really start questioning it a little bit. Not everybody, but some people, some like some of the, like, um, music media the music writers and stuff like that they started noticing certain things and they started questioning it but the overall general public nope nope not at all nope they just went along with everything <laughs> but that's pretty much when um things started falling down for them when they got signed in america and um they got signed to arista records and and what was crazy about it is at the time Clive Davis was running Arista Records. And they 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 was in that documentary line the whole time talking about some they didn't know anything or whatever. Them they they knew. Them Bamas knew. You could tell how they was answering certain questions when the uh people who did the documentary was confronting them with, with certain things. They they was trying to catch them by asking questions in a certain way. And you can tell how they got caught up a little a couple of times. And they was trying to just keep it real PR with their answers and stuff like that. But they they knew that them Bamas wasn't the real singers. But they was just, you know, the Millie Vanilli, they just blew up. You know what I'm saying? So all they cared about was that money. So, of course, by the time they got signed to uh, Arista Records, that, that's when they blew up, blew up. You know what I'm saying? That's when they started getting um, uh, nominated for Grammys and stuff like that. And the original producer that was still producing them at the time over there in Germany, he didn't want them to sign or he didn't want them to even go over to America. He was cool with them signing, 
But he didn't want them to go over to America because he knew that they was going to get found out. And of course that they did. <laughs> of course they did. They found they got found out. And what when they originally got caught was when they was having everybody who know about Millie Vanilli should know this story. When they did that concert and the um the machine that they was using to play their vocals started skipping and um it was rob the light-skinned dude he had ran off the stage and the music <laughs> was still skipping or whatever so yeah that's when people really started asking questions or whatever um but by that time like once they got over to america and stuff that's when they started getting heavy into like drinking and drugs and stuff and they said that they was pretty much doing that because they was getting, you know, they was they was trying to deal with the fact that they was lying about, you know, um, singing and stuff like that. It was becoming stressful for them. It was a burden trying to keep that lie going and stuff. But when people really figured out that they were uh, lip singing and they, they were a joke, period, was when they got nominated for the Grammys. And this is something that I didn't know. Everybody who was nominated for a Grammy and has to perform, they have to perform live. They can't do no lip singing. But Millie Vanilli said, fuck that. We're going to lip sing anyway. And they showed the footage and everything from that Grammy performance and how people in the crowd, their reactions to it, that's when people realized that they was lip singing. And and people was pissed about the fact that they came to the Grammys and lip sync because, like I said, it's a rule when you perform at the Grammys, you have to do it live. And people was pissing, and that's when they knew. And the crazy thing about it is the only reason they was nominated for a Grammy was because their manager, they had got a, a new manager when they got when they signed to America. And this manager, he was an American manager, he claimed that he didn't know that they was lip singing. He said nobody didn't tell him anything. And he said that he was the one that put in the bid for them to be nominated for a Grammy. Like the, the Grammy um, board or whatever they call it, they don't just nominate people. You have to put in the bid for it. And he did, and that's what started everything. And that's when everything started spiraling down from that Grammy performance. <laughs> um. But what really kicked everything off and just ended the whole charade was when their second, when it was time for them to work on their second album, they wanted to sing. They wanted to really sing on their second album. Arista was against it, pretty much, and and this is what this is what I'm talking about. Like Arista claimed they didn't know, but they was against them singing on. So how would how did y'all? How y'all didn't know, but y'all was against them singing like it was a contradiction with what they said and how they put it in the documentary. Granted, it could have been an editing thing, you know, but I still thought that it was weird that Arista was hesitant about them recording their second album. But the original producer who was still producing them and he wrote the song, he wrote all the songs that became popular and stuff, white dude. And he definitely didn't want them to sing on the album. So. In the midst of them having all this success and stuff like that, they started feeling themselves. They started, you know, um, 
thinking that they was better than than people and other artists that was actually singers and performers. They actually started believing a lot that they were the real people that was singing these songs. So they started, um, you know, shunning the original producer. They started ignoring them and stuff like that and telling them their demands. We want to sing on the second album and all this other stuff. We ain't going to do this. We ain't going to do that. So then what ended up happening was that producer dude, you know, like I said, he already done this before. He already put groups together before and did this little lip sync thing. He said whatever. He outed them this himself. <laughs> he told on them himself. He he did a press conference and everything talking about how they was lip syncing and all this other stuff. He put them out there ruin ruin the the Millie Vanilli group and everything. He just, he said whatever. I mean, by that time, he already made millions on top of millions on top of millions in the 80s. Like, this dude made, like, he was making, like, nine figures off of them at that point. So, he ain't care. He probably looked at it like, you know, I'm just, I could just put another group together. I mean, like I say, he wrote them songs and stuff that became popular. So, hey. <laughs> yeah, he ended up outing them and everything. But by that time, once he um, outed them and, you know, the group, the Rob and Fab, they 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 broke up essentially and ended everything. And that's when, like, some of the real mental and emotional trouble start, started um, happening. You know, they was getting heavy into the drugs and stuff, particularly uh, Rob, the light-skinned dude. And he ended up having an overdose and stuff and dying and stuff. And one of the things, like, even before he died and they was playing, like, old clips from interviews and stuff, he was saying how, you know, his childhood and and not, you know, um, you know, having a family and stuff like that really put him in a position and to uh, crave that that fame and, and, and that attention and stuff from from – you know, the fans and the public and stuff like that, you know, it was like a drug, you know, it's something that he needed because he didn't get it. And then um, Fab, he said the same thing, the dark-skinned dude, he said the same thing, you know, they pretty much basically said the same thing, that that fame and stuff, you know, was um, fulfilling their desires uh, from their childhoods that they didn't, you know, from the things that they didn't get and stuff like that. And... The dark skinned dude, he ended up, you know, recovering from, you know, his drinking and, and drug habit and stuff like that. He ended up going into like a hibernation or whatever. Ended up, you know, getting married and stuff like that, having a family. And right now he's performing. Like the dude can actually sing. The the uh, dark skinned dude, he's like he out here performing. Um, got his career. And he started even um a few years after Millie Vanilli broke up or whatever, he started singing and stuff like that. So, dude can sing. So, yeah. It was an interesting documentary. It was a sad one, you know, with the guy, um, Rob, committing suicide and stuff like that. And, you know, and the reasons behind it and, you know, their, their, want, their, their want and their desire to, to be loved and to have a family and stuff like that and how, you know, yeah, that was rough. That was a rough one. That was a rough documentary. Well, I ain't going to say it was rough. It was a good documentary. But that portion of it, which was on the tail end of the documentary, um, that was a 
it was sad. It was sad that the um that it ended that way for uh Rob the light skinned dude. So yeah. It was a good documentary though. Good music documentary and it it um it will def it definitely gives you more insight on Millie Vanilli and, and everything and not just uh what we've always known is that they was lip saying. It gives you a more in depth it, it it becomes personal and you can relate more to the two guys, Rob, Fab and Rob. But um, the other documentary that I watched in that time span was the Sylvester Stallone documentary. Let me take a sip. Yeah, so that Sylvester Stallone documentary was a good one as well. Um, Just from my notes, and I know this is going to refresh my memory because the notes from the Millie Vanilli John refreshed my memory on that one. But um, what was interesting was Sylvester Stallone, he from New York. He grew up in New York or whatever. He grew up in a boarding house. Like he had his parents, his, his father and his mother, but they were so um, caught up into their own lives with working and stuff like that. It was a time when him and his brother had to, had to live in a boarding house because their parents were working or they were um, so consumed with their own struggles. Um. So it was it was like from from what I got from his explanation was it was times where, you know, they had to just go live at the boarding house and then they would come back whenever their parents was, you know, had time for them type shit. So he also said that, you know, he felt deprived and wasn't nurtured um, by his parents, and particularly his mother. And he said maybe. This is his quote. He said, maybe the nurturing comes from being embraced and loved by an audience. And this is something similar to what, you know, Fab and Raw was saying on the Millie Vanilli jump, how, you know, they were getting their desires and the their, their technically what, what they thought, you know, they were getting their desires and their needs fulfilled through their audience, their fan base and stuff like that. But as we can see, like with Millie Vanilli, that wasn't necessarily true. You know, they thought that they were, you know, that was just a temporary solution at that time. But um, after Sylvester Stallone said that, this was his quote. He said, quote, I wish I could get over it, but I can't. And I thought that was very deep right there. Like the, the fact that he has the self-awareness enough to understand that, you know, he's still dealing with that, that he's still being fed by the the audience, the love of his fans and the, the general public and stuff like that. And he said when he when he was growing up, that movies were um, his escapism. And that's something that I resonated with um, during that documentary because I've talked about that plenty of times before on this podcast. Like, that's why I'm so into movies and, and TV and stuff like that, because I I spent so much time by myself as a kid that that's that's pretty much all I had was movies and TV. Um, So that's why I, I, I enjoy it. You know, it is an escapism for me um, at times, more so when I was younger than now because you know um i am definitely more wiser and i've i've healed and i've grown a little bit so i don't i don't romanticize over movies like i used to or what happens in them um 
but yeah, movies definitely wasn't escapism, you know. Um, he said, um, he also said he wanted the hero worship. You know, a lot of the movies that he was watching was like um, hero type movies and stuff. And he said that's what he kind of wanted when he started doing movies. And as you can see from like, you know, um, a lot of the movies that he's been in and he's wrote, directed and produced is him being a hero. So, you know, that makes sense. He wanted that hero worship or whatever. Um, he also said, you know, during his time, like in the early portion of his career, he said he wanted to, he invented himself a career because he was getting turned down a lot or only seen as he was, he was typecast at, at a point, at an early point in his career. So that's why he, he ended up, you know, writing the Rockies and stuff, Rocky movies and stuff like that. Initially, the original Rocky movie. And he, he was he was talking about how um, when he first wrote the movie or whatever, producers and, and stuff, studios and producers kept wanting him to just sell over his rights to Rocky and not being at all. But he was like, nah, the, the Rocky is me, you know, pretty much. And... He he just wouldn't let go of that. He was like, no, I'm going to be the person that is going to be playing Rocky. Granted, he did, you know, he don't have the rights to Rocky or whatever. He's still fighting over that today. But he ain't let go of that part with, you know, not playing the role of Rocky. One of the things that I definitely picked up on um, the documentary was he he's he was a he was very determined, like. He was very determined and at his early portion of his career with the acting and stuff like that and um being a fighting for himself, fighting for, you know, the things that he wanted and stuff like that. You know, um what else? Yeah, one of the most craziest things that um on the documentary, not not necessarily crazy, you know, um, because I've I've seen I've seen and heard this situation before, but him and his father had a weird relationship. Like his father was always in competition with him. And he told, excuse me, burp number five. He told a couple of stories on the documentary. Burp number six. He told a couple of stories on the documentary of how his father would compete with him and how his father would be jealous of him. And his, his brother was on a documentary as well confirmed it or whatever and one of the things like when i was watching the documentary um i was thinking to my it it had me kind of um i won't say emotional but it kind of had me um it kind of made me feel away um not because of the portion about his dad or whatever competing with him but just the overall aspect of, of how, you know, um, matter of fact, this is exactly this is this is the reason why I started. I, I finally sat down and decided to start writing the letter to my, my mom and my dad after that was this documentary right here. Because after I was watching that documentary and I was seeing how, you know, um, his his relationship with his parents or lack thereof affected him. That's when I was said to myself, I need to start writing this letter because watching the documentary made me feel some type of way. Um, 
So I guess in a, in a sense, I can't say it made me emotional, but not like overly emotional or emotional to extreme. But it is it, it it made my emotions start bubbling, and it made me really come to the conclusion that I do need to start writing these letters because of how this documentary made me feel. Because you know, I can watch certain things and it can relate or resonate with me and. It'll it'll move me to a degree, but this one right here, for some reason, it moved me enough to sit down and and start writing those letters. So that that yeah, so that, all this stuff is, is is tying into each other, it lines up <laughs> correctly. But yeah, that's the reason why I decided to start to start to write those letters because of this documentary. But yeah, that. That's just that's the last portion of what I wanted to talk about for this documentary was the fact that those stories that he was telling about his dad, how his father was jealous of him and how his father would do certain things or whatever to to put him down or keep him, you know, to make him feel small and stuff, even though he was successful as he was, um, they ended up. Well, Sylvester Stallone ended up, you know, um forgiving his father before his father passed and stuff like that and they you know they had their moment and stuff um you know while he was going through his his transition but yeah that affected him a lot and you know and this is why like I was I was saying like even before I started talking about the documentaries how you know our parents and how I always talk about it uh, whether it's on my blog or how I've been talking about on the podcast for years on how you know our, our parents relationship affects us in so many ways and it's just it's those cycles it's those cycles that need to be broken and um I ain't gonna lie you know as much as I've been going to therapy and and working on things and talking about things writing about things at at times I, I still I'm still hard as hell on myself because I feel like you know I'm not where I want to be. And I I I kind of put I equate that based off of certain things in my life still being the same or feeling as though that I haven't regr- feeling as though that I've regressed in certain areas and stuff like that. But I always get, you know, when I even when I talk when I've talked about it in therapy, I get reminded that, you know, I've spent a long portion of my life in that space and and now I'm walking this different path of trying to heal and transition and and grow and stuff like that. And that period has been much shorter than the period that I've, I'm so used to. And just the fact of life, you know, and how healing isn't linear. It's not going to be a straight line. There's going to be some bumpy roads. There's going to be some ups and downs. There's going to be some times that you will, you know, regress. And that ultimately, it's possibly a time where you got to go back in and correct something or see something again in order to fix it because or, or heal from it because you didn't do it then and there. So, you know, life is funny. Um, but, you know, I've been trying my best to just focus on the present moment in a lot of situations and, you know, make better decisions based off of what I'm you the decisions that I'm used to making and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but 
Um, the Sly documentary was a good documentary. So I definitely recommend that one as well, the Sly documentary. One of the things that I wish he would have talked about, but, you know, it ain't no big deal because it's none of my business. I ain't go through it, was the death of his son, his only son. Because he has daughters, but his only son um, died. So I thought they was going to get into that, but I can understand why they didn't go into that. Um, but overall, it still was a good documentary. So last but not least, the um, the Tyler Perry documentary. So my first initial um, thing that I wrote in my notes for the Tyler Perry documentary was Tyler Perry is the ultimate alchemist. Like in my eyes, after watching that documentary, and I know that could have just been my my first feelings just based off of the, the documentary, but just the overall story of his life and and what he went through and where he is now and what he what he built like he i just looked at it like dude is the ultimate alchemist he took the most harshest um trauma that you can go through um abuse and stuff like that and turned it into being a multi-millionaire possibly billionaire i don't know his you know what i'm saying i, don't, I ain't counting his pockets and that but yeah and even though that's material success but that's still like crazy you know what i'm saying that's still like you got to give him his kudos for that and i always have a up and down point of view on tyler perry period um but watching this documentary i got nothing but the utmost respect for tyler perry um one of the things he he mentioned um in the documentary, one of the things that I thought about even before he mentioned it was like, has his success really fulfilled him? And that kind of goes back to the Sylvester Stallone Joan and the Millie Vanilli Joan. You know what I'm saying? Their success, you know, getting that praise from that the audience, the fans, the public and stuff. Is that really fulfilling him or is it going to be like a constant situation where you chasing that? And what I know about life and the things that I've experienced it. You know, if you have, haven't necessarily healed from certain traumas and certain situations and stuff like that, you, it, it, it will be a situation where you will always be chasing those temporary um, feelings, those rushes. You know, whether it's through advice or is through um, attention, affection or whatever from a person, um, social media, whatever, you know there will be an element of chasing that all the time, those temporary rushes, those temporary fulfillments, if you don't ultimately, you know, um, heal from that trauma. So um, from... Like I talked about, uh, he went through like abuse, and the reason why he went through the, the the abuse that he he went through from his his father was his mother had two kids, and then had Tyler after those two kids. But it 
his father always suspected that Tyler wasn't his son. And it wound up being true. And Tyler even said that's where he feels that the abuse, the abuse came from, from his dad. The physical abuse and, and mental, emotional abuse that he got from his dad was because his dad ultimately knew that Tyler wasn't his son. And he talked about, you know, how his mom and his dad got married at a young age and they and his mother probably stayed because of, you know, she didn't have nowhere to go and stuff like that. And his father was, a, you know, was the provider for the house or whatever. He provided a house and a home and food on the table and all that other stuff. And then when he started talking about like the early days of his um, his plays and stuff. And how they wasn't successful and stuff. And he was like one of the most um, hurtful moments that he experienced was when his mother told him to just give up. But he he was resilient and he decided not to give up, you know, um, even though his mother, which was at that time his biggest supporter, told him to give up. Like she actually got mad at him because... Um, uh, if I recall, he borrowed money from her for one of the plays and it didn't work out the way he didn't get the money back. You know, um, the play didn't sell as well. He didn't sell enough tickets and stuff like that. So his mother was kind of pissed at him or whatever and told him that he needed to give up. But it ended up working out for him, of course. As we know, you know, working out for him, his plays um, was the starting point, the jump off point for everything that we see today, the movies, the studios that he got. And he still uh, faced at um, adversity, even though when his plays jumped off, you know, when he was trying to go um, start in the movie industry and making movies and dealing with the studios and even when he was trying to build his own studio like the studio he got now is i think it's his third or fourth studio and they talked about it in the documentary the struggles that he um he went through um uh, while trying to find studios and stuff like that but of course also he went through like a public like a little public scrutiny with the Medea character and you know, there was a lot of people talking about how, you know, it, the Medea character and him doing it and stuff like that was uh, an emasculation of black men. And he felt he felt uh, some type of way about that. And like that, that's kind of like that was kind of one of my gripes with him at, at one time. The fact that he was pushing that that Medea character so much it wasn't just it wasn't necessarily the character it was the fact that he was dressing up as the woman or whatever so I understood I understood that when they talked about it you know because at one point I felt the same way I mean like I feel that way even when Martin dresses up in the dress or you know any other comedian dresses up in the dress why is it always black men that gotta be dressing up in dresses <laughs> and acting like you know women or like, even if you look at um, comedy as a whole, you look at it from, you know, from in the past and you look at it 
like now on social media, some of these um, social media skit people that, you know, call themselves comedians or whatever. Why is it always that black men has have to resort to playing a woman or playing uh, gay for comedy? And that's always something that I question and, and frustrated me. Like, you know, why is that? Because you don't see that nowhere else. But, you know, that's, that's something that they went into talking about. And I'm, I'm surprised that they went into it because I thought this was going to be a documentary where they just talk nice things about Tyler Perry and, and that was it. But they, they pretty much went through the whole gambit of, of everything that, you know, he went through that I know of, you know, that I know of. One, one of the things that um, I took a note of that I found interesting was that um, one of the people that was part of the documentary that was speaking throughout it, he said um, his mom likes Tyler Perry plays so much because she feels safe. And I thought that was interesting. She feels safe. And I attributed it to maybe because that's, you know, um, I don't know. I was thinking maybe she said she feels safe because it's it's in the it's her people, you know, um is is the play is about black people for black people and maybe that's why she said she felt safe. But I thought that was something that was interesting that you know that his plays made her feel safe. And it was something kind of it it was something that was kind of relayed that other black people felt the way, particularly just black women, not, you know, not black men, but black women. And I guess I can get that because maybe the Medea character allowed black women to feel safe because, um, you know, it, it came from that angle of the old um, Southern black woman or the matriarch of the family and, you know, you don't most of those back back in the days, like, you know, when you had like the Aunt Jemima and the Mammies and stuff, those were all kind of like characters or people or images that were, you know, looked down upon. And with the Medea show, it, it kind of gave them a sense of, oh, it's getting, you know, it's popular and stuff like that. So it feels, you know, it feels like it feels safer, I guess. I don't know. I, mean, I can't really speak from a woman's perspective, but that's what I was kind of just trying to work through in my mind. Um, yeah, doing the midst of that, the whole controversy around him, a dead character, and just um, once he started um, becoming more successful and it started being much more of an eye on his uh, content and stuff, like um a lot of people well i ain't gonna say a lot of people some black people was a portion of black people that was really asking like is this what black people want to see like um you know uh it was some people that was using the word you know the buffoonery coonery as you know spike lee used that term when when he spoke out about um tyler perry during that time um, and what was inter interesting about that, at Tyler Perry's new studio, one of the sound stages uh, is named after Spike Lee. So, I, you know, I guess they made up. But um, 
one of the things that I asked while I was taking the notes is like, you know, is he exploiting the audience? Like, is he exploiting the black community? Similar to like I was thinking about it the day when I was getting ready for the show, like how certain um, in the music industry, like certain black, you know, uh, rap music and stuff like that. Like most of the artists don't even they don't do what you know what I'm saying. They don't live the the lifestyles that they rap about, but they know that black people are into that stuff or we're programmed. We've been programmed to be into that stuff. So then that's the content that they pushing out. And I kind of, I mean, I kind of feel that way about Tyler Perry. That's one of the gripes that I have with Tyler Perry that I feel as though that to a degree he does exploit the audience. You know, um, he knows that certain audiences aren't evolved enough or in a space to be beyond certain ignorant activities, whether it be, you know, um, <laughs> some of some of his content is kind of cliche to the black community or um i'll just leave it at that some of it is very cliche some of it is very cliche and some some of it is very um stereotypical stereotypical to the black community and i think he does exploit that to a degree you know um, some of the stuff is kind of soap opery, and that you know is in that soap opera genre, but it is very stereotypical and cliche of of black how others outside of our community see the black community. And one of the other one of the questions that they asked during the documentary though was like, is it his job to save the black community? No, I don't believe it's his job to save the black community, but I still believe he holds a responsibility to the black community that the community that is, you know, providing him with this this wealth, this material success. So, I mean, not to say that he don't put good messages in his stuff, but some of his, his stuff and I was having this conversation with um at the time with with one of the guys from uh separate the two podcasts um about how you know some of his his feelings on it was some of his Tyler Perry's content is redundant and corny and I can see where he's coming from some of it is just a a a redundant story just with different characters and stuff like that and it's kind of like it seems that it corny to the aspect of it's just it's just thrown out there to feed the the stereotypical stuff that people are used to seeing and he know they're gonna watch it so this is something he can easily throw out there without putting that much writing effort into it and stuff and it'll still sell it'll still get on you know tv it'll get him like this is something that they explain on um the documentary how he um how he was able to make deals with the television companies in order to get his shows into syndication. And with him getting his shows in syndication, you have to have a certain amount of shows that the the TV stations already pick up to make it a syndicated show. And that that's where the money comes in at. So I feel like, you know, 
based off of my conversation with Greg from Separate the Two Podcasts and my own thoughts and stuff on his content, that some of his content is just pushed out there to be, you know, because he know that it's stereotypical and that this is what certain portions of the black community is used to, certain drama aspects or, you know, um, uh, low-level buffoonery comp comedic stuff and that's that's something that they'll run to and he you know he'll get his syndication from the tv place get his money and everybody's satisfied you know but i feel like all black people should you know when they reach some level of success whether it's you know hollywood success um music industry success or just success period in your career it is our responsibility to pull each other up but in our community we don't say it that way. It's every man for themselves or either we just trying to get to where we want to get so we can rub elbows with, you know, the powers to be and be a part of a, a system that isn't doesn't care about us, doesn't want us to be a part of them or anything. But, you know, that's the capitalism for you. But he did say that, you know, when he get his detractors and his um, critics and stuff like that, that that hurt him. It hurt coming from the community. And that's one of the things that I have a problem with overall, not just Tyler Perry saying that, is that one thing with our, with our community, a so-called community, is that we we take every type of criticism, you know, every criticism isn't constructive. I get that. But we take any type of criticism, whether it's constructive, not constructive, whatever, and we look at it as hate or something bad. Like, we look at it like all black people are supposed to support everything black people do. No, the hell, we aren't supposed to do that. <laughs> we're not supposed to do that. Like, if this shit is, if the stuff is detrimental to our community and our growth or whatever, and even on a smaller scale, if it's detrimental to my immediate family or my kids or like that, then yeah. You should have a problem with it. And this whole narrative, and it's it's been, it's even more bigger today with social media out here. Like, everybody think that if you say something against somebody or have a different opinion or have some type of constructive criticism or don't like something or not really into something, then you're a hater. Like, no, damn, I'm just an individual that have my own taste. And that's what a Taste to Consider podcast has always been about. Just throwing out different things, different points of views and stuff like that, you know, because everybody's not supposed to, I hate followers. I hate followers and I hate people following behind trends and, you know, just because something popular, they think that they're going to benefit from, from it by liking it or being a fan of it or whatever. Like our community is just so skewed and thinking that, and this is just, this is just my own experience. Like it's people all day. I see like like it's it's popular podcasts out here, like mainstream podcasts out here that are done by a former rapper or a former celebrity or current celebrity, current rapper or whoever. And I'll see people who I've known for years. They will post stuff, comment stuff on that on their <laughs> about their their shows, their clips, share their clips comment on their clips or whatever but they won't even do that for me 
you know, and this is what I'm talking about. Like everybody in our community think that you can't support somebody who isn't popular, you know, but they'll do it with somebody popular because they think they're going to get something out of it. But soon as if I was to just go viral tomorrow and become one of the big, biggest podcasts in the world, then then everybody, those those same people who who I've known for years will be commenting and sharing my clips and saying they know me and all that other stuff. This is how it goes with the black community. But yeah, um, yeah, he he was blown about um, you know that that time when you know he was getting a lot of criticism about the Medea character and and all that other stuff. He his quote was he said certain class of black people that look down on Tyler Perry. That's what he said, and and I don't even like how that that quote came out when he said certain class of black people. Like that, that was some condescending shit right there. But it is what it is. And then when they started talking about this portion of the documentary and this portion of his his career, his life or whatever, and they started talking about how um, back in the day when Amos and Andy came out in 1953 and how the um, it was a lot of boycotts from the black community on that to the point where they took it off the air. And that was a good thing because they it was, even though it may have messed up the Amos and Andy characters career, but at the same time, it was going it was part of a, a time when, you know, they was using us as, you know, coon coon characters, you know what I'm saying? Making us look crazy on, on TV and stuff like that. And then they they brought up how um, the original Color Purple, the original Color Purple movie, how the NAACP boycotted it because of the black male imagery in it, which I get because that movie, <laughs> I was just talking about that a lot lately um, since the new Color Purple has come out. But that the new Color Purple, that's how it's based on the musical, not the the actual movie. So that's been a lot of confusion as well. But yeah, I can see that. And it, it's no different than like, um, I'll bring up a, a present example right now. It's no different than like with the with the the so-called rapper Sexy Red with her being out or whatever and how like her whole image, the music she make and all this other stuff is detrimental to the black community. But because it's popular, people pushing it. And particularly the people pushing it are people not even in our community, the record labels, the record executives and stuff. They don't care about our community. But we so programmed to always be following behind trends and stuff like that, that Sexy Red is so damn popular now. Like, it, I ain't, her ass can't rap. She looks, I ain't, I ain't going to try it. She can't rap. Like the M, the whole image of it is just horrible. But she popular as hell. And I don't see that no different than situation, certain situations with some of Tyler Perry's content. Like, particularly like some of his content that he has on BET Plus. Like some of that stuff should be on Tubi, honestly. Like the acting, the writing of it, like the stereotypical stuff with it. And it's like, you know, I get that, you know, well, I ain't going to say I get. I mean, honestly, we live in a capitalistic society and, you know, people going for this. But 
you know, I'm just not the type of person that I would be in a position of having that type of success and, you know, not evolving in some type of way and and pushing a different point of view or di- a different image to, you know, my people. Um, So that's like really the only gripe I have with Tyler Perry that I always had. But I do definitely respect him. I respect his work ethic and stuff like that. And this documentary made me respect him even more. I feel like Tyler Perry definitely should, you know, um, what he's done, he definitely should be getting more flowers than what he, he has done. You know, I just wish that he would evolve his message and his imagery his content a little bit more and um during the documentary i'm about to wrap everything up but during the documentary killer mike was on there he talked about he brought up um white comedian white comedy and white comedians and stuff like that and how they've had questionable um imagery that stereotypes and and depicts white people in a certain way or whatever but i'm like i don't care about that like i'm tired of us always trying to compare ourselves with what white people doing like we always in our so-called community we always try to make white people the standard of how we should act or where 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 the ceiling stops or where the floor stops you know and we got to stop doing that i don't care about what they doing and how they how they do their people because when it comes down to it even if they even if it is a select few of white comedians that depict um and stereotype their community they still got power they still got power they still got privilege they got a system in place so they will always be on top as long as we keep trying to um hold out hold out um our standards up to theirs or next to theirs And then when it comes down to it, like a lot of the stereotypes and this is this is something that is not talked about enough. Black people, we are one of the most biggest um, producers of white supremacy out here. We do that. We do their job for them. And and in and, and some ways, this is how I look at, you know, Tyler, some of Tyler Perry's content. This is how I look at. Um, a lot of the rap music out here and stuff like that. We push a lot of their agenda on ourselves and to the point where they don't have to do no work. They don't. Like the same things that we we, we out here doing with content, with stuff in in society and stuff like that we learned that from them and we just pushing it on ourselves like the stuff that they used to make fun of us on with content back in the days and newspapers and and um movies and and music and stuff like that we doing the same thing now to our own people like it it, it makes no sense (laughs) but yeah it was a it was a good ass documentary, despite you know the gripes I have and you know the the dis how I disagree with certain things. Just because I disagree don't mean I don't respect Tyler Perry and I don't like him. And we gotta get out of that shit. You know what I'm saying? 
And like I said, this is what Taste to Consider podcast has always been about. You know, you don't have to agree with everything a person um, feels, thinks, and all that other stuff. It ain't about that. It's just about, you know what I'm saying, getting a different perspective, different, getting a different point of view, and respecting that at the same time, you know. And if you don't like it, you got your taste, move on. It's as simple as that. But, yeah, like I said, you know, it was a good documentary. I recommend those three documentaries as well as the Bee Gees documentary. Um, and it's also a, um, a docu-series that I just recently watched. Excuse me, burp number seven, eight, that I watched on the Max app um, called Murder in Boston. It was three episodes, and... If you don't already know, Boston is one of the racist-ass places in America, and it ain't in the South. <laughs> and this particular docu-series was based on a crime, a murder that happened back in the 80s. And it was a murder of a white woman, a pregnant white woman. And it was just a crazy-ass story. It showed how how racist Boston is. It showed how um races um white people can be based off of just pure hatred and lack of information et cetera et cetera and it was it, it was a it was a good one so yeah check that out as well and that's about it on the doc the documentaries uh like i said um you know this is new year's eve i was about to say christmas eve <laughs> new year's eve Honestly, you know, um, like around this time, this this may be this is something that I considered as well. Huh. I considered <laughs> that, you know, like around this time, the holiday time and stuff like that is is a difficult time for me. Um, and having my birthday mixed in this time as well, my birthday being the end of November. Um, the holiday time always like is a difficult time for me. I can't wait for January 2nd. <laughs> Well, shit, January 1st, January 2nd, I just can't wait to get back to to <laughs> the the real life. Um, because, you know, um, I didn't have the typical uh, holiday um, feels that, you know, um, some some people had, some families had. And that's probably why I ain't even on social media. I haven't been having the urge to be on social media as well because I don't want to see that stuff. So, yeah, damn. See, I'm fleshing it out right here and now. But, I mean, I kind of already knew all this stuff. But, yeah, something just been different around this time, though. You know, um, you know, even though I, uh, I got to, like, I'm pointing at my Christmas tree. I put, I finally bought a Christmas tree and put it in my, uh, in the tasting room. And I ain't had a tree in years. Since I lived in this house, I probably had a tree like the first couple few years when I first moved in. And after that, I stopped putting one up. I even threw it away. But I bought a new one this year because I wanted to, you know, what I'm saying I wanted to get in the, uh, the Christmas spirit and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, holiday time, always a difficult time for me. You know, I just want to get back to um, the regular regular schedule program. <laughs> Um, I know I've been kind of like in hibernation and isolation mode, um, so to speak as well, but 
I mean, it's winter, fall and winter time. That's what you're supposed to do anyway. Um, but yeah. But this might be the last taste. I don't know. Like, like I said, possibly, possibly. But I definitely wanted to finish what I started, and I started putting this to, this episode together. This episode had been done for weeks, month, a month and a half probably. So I wanted to finish what I started. Um, maybe I just do need a little break. Um, who knows? But I definitely wanted to, you know, finish the year off properly. And like I said, the taste reviews ain't going nowhere. Um, taste reviews, drink edition, new episode been out for a while. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm not sure how I'm going to do the the social media thing, honestly, because I mean, the the numbers I got from the last taste review was comparison to even if I was posting and marketing on social media. So that didn't really give me an incentive to get back on social media to uh <laughs> market or anything like that. So we'll see. Um, you know. Um, but yeah, I do appreciate, you know, all the listeners, all the viewers, YouTube, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, Google Play um amazon music so yeah we'll see you know um this may be the last taste maybe not we'll see i don't know i wasn't trying to make it all dramatic but i did want to you know let y'all know what was going on so we will see um like i said uh, once again i appreciate everybody i appreciate all the love and stuff like that um i'm gonna go ahead and end this episode off proper properly and sign off it's a taste to consider podcast i'm your host Derek silver And I'm out.